Welcome to Zoinks, the podcast that explores creepy mysteries, spooky encounters, and all things strange and unusual. Tonight, we dive into one of the most well-known urban legends on the entire globe. As long as they've existed, mirrors have been a source of superstition in many cultures, and there are too many legends to count surrounding them, many of which are rooted in the old belief that a mirror reflects back a person's soul. According to ancient belief, the soul renews itself every seven years, and when a mirror is broken, so is the cycle, thereby casting seven years of bad luck onto the person whose reflection was broken. Mirrors are often covered in times of mourning, in a superstitious attempt to prevent the soul of the deceased from becoming trapped inside a mirror, and sinister creatures, such as vampires, are said to have no reflection, as they have no soul. As these superstitions worked their way down through the chain of popular culture, they eventually found their way into party games, especially among young girls. Urban legends spread about the divining properties of mirrors, and it was said that if certain instructions were carried out, a young girl could catch a glimpse of her future husband in the reflection of the mirror. Alternatively, they may catch the reflection of a skull, a sign that she would die before she was married. Participation in this legend offers a thrilling brush with the supernatural and an exciting risk of learning about one's unfortunate fate. But with time, children have become more desensitized and with stories of divination no longer providing an adequate thrill at slumber parties, darker and more sinister legends began to spread. Among them was Bloody Mary, a legend which may trace its roots directly back to the mirror divination ritual carried out decades earlier. The details of Bloody Mary vary depending on your location, who you heard the legend from, or even the era that you heard it in. Some variations of the legend say that Bloody Mary is summoned by the light of a single candle, sometimes many candles, sometimes complete darkness is required. Sometimes she can only be summoned by a lone practitioner, other times multiple people are needed. The exact chance also varies, even the entity's name differs between retellings. While best known as Bloody Mary, she's also been known as Mary Worth, Mary Lou, and Black Agnes among others. One thing that all retellings of the legend have in common is that Bloody Mary is never portrayed as a pleasant or comforting presence. At best, she is an inactive image, a harmless reflection who stares back at you through the mirror. At worst, she is a vicious and vengeful spirit who will emerge from the mirror, whether it is to carve out the eyes of her summoner or to capture her victim and pull them back into the mirror with her. Just as there are many stories of how to summon Mary, or what she will do to you when she appears, there are many stories about who Mary is, and why she attacks her summoners. Some say she was a witch, 
who was burned at the stake. Others say her origins are more recent, that she died in a car accident or was murdered by a madman. Often, she is said to have been a grieving mother in versions of the tale in which the summoning chant is, Bloody Mary, I stole your baby. These origins are mostly a mix of various urban legends and all share that same kind of friend of a friend quality, explaining the wide variety of different stories. But while the fictional origins of Bloody Mary may be uncertain, the real life origins of the legend are even less clear. Mary I, daughter of Henry VIII, ruled England and Ireland from 1553 to 1558. She is remembered for her attempts to reinstate Catholicism as the main religion in the country, a pursuit which led to the deaths of a great deal of Protestants, and with the vast murders ordered by the Queen, she earned the nickname Bloody Mary. Thanks to this name, Mary I is often believed to be the origin of the Bloody Mary legend. This, however, is untrue, and the two Marys are not known to share any connection. Bloody Mary's actual roots are far less clear, and it's something we may never know for sure. Folklorists first began to write about Bloody Mary back in the 1970s, and the legend most likely dates to around the 1960s. The tale is widespread, and it's impossible to pin its origin down to a single location. The rapid spread of the story makes it unlikely that the tale did originate in any one location, and the breadth of variety among different retellings is perhaps further evidence that the legend doesn't have one particular origin at all, but that similar legends instead evolved separately from earlier stories, and that eventually they blended together to form what we now know as Bloody Mary, an amalgamation of sorts of previous legends. Whatever its origins, the legend of Bloody Mary has clearly had a lasting effect and has permeated pop culture, acting as inspiration for films, books, comics, and more. You can ask five different people and be told five different versions of the legend, but finding someone who has no knowledge of Bloody Mary would be a very difficult task indeed. Weird. Science. At 5.29am, on July 16th, 1945, in the desert of New Mexico, the first nuclear explosion was detonated as the first practical test of the Manhattan Project. Within the month, two atomic bombs would be detonated above the Japanese cities of Hiroshima and Nagasaki, and the 20th century would be forever changed as humanity moved into the atomic age, a period of time characterized at first by great optimism, born out of all the possibilities offered by a powerful new technology, but eventually overwritten by a deep and growing anxiety as the United States and the Soviet Union began an arms race that would fester in the public consciousness for decades. Eugene Rabinovich was one of the scientists who worked on the Manhattan Project, and throughout the program, he'd been worried about its implications for warfare. He recommended, unsuccessfully, that the US government bring its nuclear program under civilian control rather than military control, and he would argue for a public demonstration of the A-bomb's power before its use in combat, in an apparent attempt 
to sway public opinion of atomic weapons before they ever even entered the battlefield. Fearing that the public were not adequately informed about this new technology, in 1945 he founded what would later become the Bulletin of Atomic Scientists, an organisation and academic journal aimed at educating and conveying in plain language the facts about atomic weapons and the dangers that they pose to humanity. In 1947, Bulletin co-finder Hyman Goldsmith approached artist Martel Langsdorff with an offer to design the cover of their June issue. Langsdorff created the iconic image of a simple, minimalistic clock as it approached midnight. The image was designed to convey the danger that nuclear weapons posed, and to imply the annihilation that they might bring about. The choice of a clock to represent this idea was deliberate. Langsdorff wanted to accurately convey the urgency of this issue, and decided on a ticking clock as it implied that midnight was inevitable without intervention, just as nuclear annihilation could be inevitable without active steps to avoid this path. It was an effective image, and the Bulletin would ultimately adopt it as their longest-running project, the Doomsday Clock. And so, the organisation has, for the past 74 years, met and discussed the biggest existential threats faced by humanity, initially the nuclear escalation, later climate change and new scientific advances such as AI, and assessed those threats in order to set the time of the Doomsday Clock, a symbolic representation of how perilous the waters of humanity currently are, with midnight standing as the symbol of a large extinction-level event. Langsdorff's initial cover illustration set the clock at seven minutes to midnight, and the first change came two years later, in 1949, when the Soviet Union conducted their first test of an atomic bomb. The time was moved forwards four minutes, and humanity stood at three minutes to midnight. Throughout the Cold War, the time would fluctuate, from its lowest point of two minutes to midnight in 1953, to a comforting 12 minutes to midnight in both 1963 and 1972. Then, with the dissolution of the Soviet Union in 1991, the hands of the clock moved the furthest from midnight that they've ever stood. Although the Bulletin still considers nuclear annihilation a real threat to humanity, and factors this and other technologies into its decision-making, since the 90s, climate change has been the driving force behind the hand's slow tick towards doom, and the time left has been narrowing since 1991 with the exception of 2010, where the clock gained a minute in response to a new nuclear disarmament treaty and the UN Climate Change Conference, resulting in a global agreement to reduce emissions. But this small step forward has not prevented the slow approach of midnight. In 2017, in response to Donald Trump's cavalier attitude towards nuclear weapons and his casual disbelief of the threat of climate change, the bulletin moved the clock forwards 30 seconds, the first time it has moved by less than a minute. Another 30 second decrease in 2018 left humanity at two minutes to midnight, the closest to disaster that we've ever been, tied with 1953, when the clock was also set at two minutes to midnight. In January 2020, largely due to the increased threat of nuclear war, the bulletin moved the clock forward 20 seconds. 
This was the most recent change to the clock, and as of recording, we stand at a perilous 100 seconds to midnight, the closest to catastrophe that the bulletin has ever predicted. Now, this most recent change, let's face it, brings to mind a child bluffing with a countdown. Seven, eight, nine, nine and a half, nine and three quarters. But you can't blame the bulletin for moving to smaller and smaller increments, as the next whole number would place us at one minute to midnight. A significant change that would be a huge statement that perhaps they're not ready to make yet. And it does, of course, beg the question, what happens when we reach one? Do we then continue to count down in 20 second increments? 10 seconds? 5 seconds? Just how close to midnight can the clock really get? Is it possible that humanity, after decades of ignoring scientific advice, has brought itself so close to catastrophe that predictions are rendered useless? And, at the end of the day, that's all the Doomsday Clock is. A prediction. One made by a very intelligent and well-informed group of people, but a prediction nonetheless. And one designed specifically to serve as a warning and a motivator for change. Which is a long-winded way of saying that the Doomsday Clock is not an infallible piece of data to be used when planning for the future. It is, however, a powerful and moving symbol that perhaps ought to stay in the back of our minds as we, the people, decide on how we want to live and organise in the decades and centuries ahead of us. Now, let's dive into today's creepy encounter. The early history of Chillingham Castle is really quite vague. Founded in Northumberland, close to the England-Scotland border, the castle is over 800 years old, but nothing of its construction seems to be known. The castle reportedly began life in the 12th century as a monastery and first entered the history books in 1298 when Edward I of England visited the building on his way to battle in Scotland. It's important to remember, of course, that the United Kingdom as we know it today has only existed for a little over 300 years. Prior to 1707, England and Scotland were two completely separate nations, which spent a great deal of their history at war with one another. And that, naturally, put Chillingham Castle in a strategically important location. This made the property a target, and it was subjected to repeated attacks by Scottish forces. In 1344, King Edward III issued a license to fortify the building and add battlements, upgrading what was once a humble monastery to a fully-fledged and fortified castle. The next few centuries are, again, rather vague, with little historic record existing outside of occasional visits from reigning monarchs, including a visit from James I and VI as he travelled from Scotland to England for his English coronation. He was, of course, the first to rule as king of both England and Scotland, providing a personal union of the two countries, although they would continue to exist independently in every other sense. As the relationship between England and Scotland grew peaceful, the castle underwent changes that transformed it from a fortified base of war to a more residential property, although it would once again become embroiled in conflict when it became home to British soldiers during the Second World War. Following the war, the house fell into disrepair until it was purchased in 1982 by Humphrey Wakefield, who set to work restoring the castle. It has since been open to the public, 
and the building's reputation as the most haunted castle in the country has become a huge selling point and helped to propel the castle to huge success as a visitor attraction. The most famous ghost of Chillingham Castle is known as the Blue Boy. This ghost initially gained notoriety in its non-corporeal form as it would present itself as orbs or halos of blue light. Then, in 1920, a body was discovered encased in a wall in a room known as the Pink Room. The body was found to have belonged to a young boy, although his exact age seems to be lost to time. Rumours spawned from this discovery that the boy was sealed up in the wall while he was still alive, and that the quiet sound of scratching could still be heard within the walls. Once the body of the boy was exhumed and reburied in a proper ceremony, appearances of his ghost were said to have stopped altogether, although they have begun to re-emerge in recent years. A phenomenon likely related to the growing popularity of this story, as Chillingham Castle becomes an increasingly popular visitor attraction. Another ghost in the castle is known as the White Pantry Ghost, and was said to have appeared to a footman who was hired to guard the silver stored in the inner pantry. The footman's job was essentially to sleep with the silver each night in order to ensure that no one broke into the locked inner pantry. One night he was awoken by a woman in white who asked for a glass of water. The footman obliged until he remembered that the door to the inner pantry was locked and it was impossible that any woman could have gotten in. Turning back to her, he found that she'd vanished entirely. Some have said that the ghost's thirst is an evidence that she met her end through poison. But there's little more than rumour behind this particular ghost, as even the century this story takes place seems to be unclear. One big source of paranormal activity in Chillingham Castle, though, is said to be the dungeons beneath the building, where prisoners were reportedly tortured and starved, with some sources suggesting that the occupants were even driven to cannibalism. Rumour has it, you can look down through the trapdoor in the floor and into the dungeon below and lock eyes with the remains of a young girl staring back at you. Finally, the ghost of Lady Barclay, who is married to one of the former owners of the castle, is said to roam the halls at night, leaving behind her a chill in the air. It is said that the ghost continues to search for her husband, who, in life, abandoned Lady Barclay for another woman. This story was memorably shared by Lady Barclay herself in an episode of the ghost hunting show, Most Haunted, which visited Chillingham Castle way back in its second episode in 2002. In that episode, medium Derek Akura claimed to have made contact with the spirit of Lady Barclay and recounted part of her story as a jilted lover. The late Derek Akura, on the other hand, has long since been discredited after being caught faking some of his supernatural abilities. But nonetheless, Chillingham Castle's stories remain entertaining and engrossing, and the building continues to draw visitors who are eager to visit the most haunted castle in England. That's everything we've got for you today, but we'll have another mystery for you in the next episode. If you're enjoying the podcast, we have a whole website where we publish articles about all things spooky, from the supernatural to the unexplained. You can find that at daffodillies.co.uk slash zoinks. That's D-A-F-F-A-D-I-L-L-I-E-S dot co dot uk slash 
Zoinks. Head over there now, dive in and creep yourself out. And be sure to join us in the comments to share your thoughts and your theories. If you want to get in touch, you can find us on Twitter. Our handle everywhere is fearbyzoinks. And you can always email us at zoinks at daffodillies.co.uk. Finally, if you have a moment, we'd love a rating and a review on whichever app you're getting your podcast from. It would help us out as it helps people find us. Well, that's everything. So until next time, stay spooky. Spooky.